I do enjoy being the underdog. I think it's motivating. It's more fun to try and knock somebody off than to, you know, try to maintain your spot at the top and keep everybody else down. So I don't mind, you know, being at the top. <laughs> but if I am the underdog, it's a little bit more fun. Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is April Ross. April started her prolific volleyball career indoors as a four-time All-American at USC, where she led the Trojans to back-to-back indoor volleyball championships. After switching to beach volleyball post-graduation, she won both the AVP and the FIVB Rookie of the Year awards, and in 2009, won gold at the World Championships. She has since won two world championship silvers, as well as an Olympic silver and bronze. April and her partner, Alex Kleinman, are the favorites to take home gold at the Tokyo Olympics. April, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, thanks for getting on. Where are we finding you today? I am in Costa Mesa. Nice. So I want to go back to where it all started. You grew up in Newport Beach, California. So how did you first get into volleyball? Was it just because of where you lived and that's what people did or what what first got you into the sport? Well, growing up, I wanted to be where you are right now. Soccer was my number one and I loved it. I played like club and never wanted to quit. And for one reason or another, my club team folded and I didn't have a clear different direction to take in soccer. And it was right at the end of eighth grade, I believe. And all my friends were playing volleyball and I had no interest in volleyball. I was like, just soccer, just soccer. And my dad, I think, saw that I was tall and you know decently athletic and thought I could be good at it. So he literally kind of made me go to this volleyball tryout for club volleyball. And I was just sure I was going to hate it. And after the tryout, I was like, oh my gosh, I like this is for me. Like it just took the one time trying it, being in there and I was terrible, but um, kind of like immediately fell in love with volleyball right away. Why do you think that you didn't think you're going to like it? And then what about it made you be like, I love this? Or was it just a feeling? I think I loved the atmosphere. I wasn't playing soccer with the girls at my high school. And a lot of the girls that were going to my high school were in this club volleyball program. And so I think that was kind of fun for me to be around them and and see how that could be a bonding experience. But also, I could just see how much better I could get. And I obviously was not the best soccer player in the world, but I don't think I saw like the opportunities to improve like I did in volleyball. And maybe it was just because it was my first day and I was so bad, but I was just like, I don't know, like this is a challenge that I think I'm going to really like. So I just came back the next day. That's really cool, especially for being so young and not being good at something and wanting to pursue it for that reason. Yeah. Like I never really worried about results or like, how good I was or bad I was. I just played because I loved it for the most part. And like every little thing that kind of like clicked for me, it was this huge validation. Like I worked so hard and it clicked and I can like remember those moments just looking back. And that was super motivating for me. Like, okay, now what's the next step and and what's the next thing that I can kind of master and, and get to click? Totally. I still feel like that to this day. I'm like, okay. I'm still waiting for this one thing to click, you know, like that's why I'm still playing. (laughs) 
<laughs> on another episode, we talked about like chasing perfection. I feel like so many athletes, especially professional athletes, that's what brings us back day after day because you're never going to be perfect, but we all want to be because that's ingrained in us. And it sounds like that is the case for you. So you didn't play volleyball till eighth grade and you end up being the number one recruit in the country going into college. That's a big jump from like <laughs> entering the sport and then being the number one recruit. What was that like for you? When did you realize that you had it and could go beyond just playing club volleyball in high school? I don't know if I ever realized I had it until um, I was playing beach volleyball. But like I said, I kind of just played because I loved playing. I didn't think that I was good enough to get a scholarship until that first letter rolled in like my junior year. And one of the things that I can point to as kind of like a linchpin in my career was going into high school as a freshman. And I'm not over-exaggerating this. Like I was terrible. There's a thing called a one. So I was a middle blocker and you have, you know, like at the basic level, you have to be able to run a one. What is running a one? Running a one is the fastest set in volleyball. So the middle blocker goes straight to the setter and the set is literally like half a foot to a foot high. So it's really quick and you kind of like hit the ball right out of the setter's hands. So it takes a lot of hand-eye coordination, rhythm, timing, all that stuff that like a really lanky, uncoordinated freshman me could not do. And it's really important because it holds the other team's blockers in the middle. So if the setter sets to the outside, like a longer set, the middle blocker has a harder time getting out there to block the ball. I could not run a one. And the volleyball team at my high school was pretty good. And you try out for all the different teams, fresh off, JV and varsity. And so I'm just going into this tryout with my friends. And I got taken on the varsity. I was the only freshman taken on the varsity team. I was a starter. And I have watched those videos. I had no business being on the varsity team, but my coach saw something, I guess, some potential. And so the fact that I got to play on varsity that year and be with all the seniors and juniors, and I learned so much, I feel like that was a huge step for me and just put me in a position to have the success that I've had. So every time I see my high school coach, I thank him for taking me on varsity that year. But I don't know, I just worked really hard. The one thing that my parents always told me was, it doesn't matter the results, you know, it matters what you bring to the court and how much effort you put into it and your attitude. And if you give it 150%, that's all you can do. And so that was like my whole mentality in high school. Yeah, I'm laughing because I can't imagine you being terrible as a freshman and still making varsity. You obviously had something. And like you said, the coach saw something special in you. So you're a freshman on varsity. You obviously stay on varsity your entire time in high school. You get your first letter from a college. I remember that time. And for me, I was kind of the same way. I didn't even think about going to college for soccer, really, until the letter started to roll in. And so how did you decide on USC? Oh, that's kind of interesting. So my aunt and uncle went to UCLA. My high school coach was a big UCLA fan and everyone was pushing me to go to UCLA. And I honestly thought like, that's, you know, I'll probably go to UCLA. 
I went and visited the campus and it was just huge. I felt like it's sw- like swallowed me up. And honestly, one of the biggest turnoffs was the girls were taking me and my mom around and they were talking about hazing the freshmen and what they were going to do to haze the freshmen this year. And I didn't drink and it terrified me. And oh, I was no. like, I don't want this. Like it, <laughs> it totally scared me. And so I was really turned off uh, by UCLA after that. And USC was nowhere on my radar. I don't know. Like I just, it's very polarizing, right? You're either UCLA and hate USC or vice versa. So USC was not an option for me until their coach, Jarrett Elliott came. Like I took home visits from a lot of different colleges. So Jarrett came and sat at my kitchen table and just like literally sold us on USC just to come for a visit. So I came for a visit. It was the complete opposite experience as UCLA, like smaller campus. The girls had done their research. Like you could tell they made me feel really at home and said all the right things. And it just felt so much more like a family. And I could tell it was a really good fit. And I had no idea how they were at volleyball. I really? Didn't know, oh yeah. No idea. Didn't know how they had done in the past years, who else they were looking at for recruiting, who was going to be on the team. I was just like, this feels right. And I did want to go to a good academic school. And I loved the idea of the alumni network in Southern California. Cause I knew that I always wanted to stay in SoCal. And so that's kind of why I chose SC. Luckily we got some amazing recruits my same year and did really well. Did you commit before those amazing recruits did or did they commit after you had committed? Like you were number one. So obviously you you clearly had pool and you probably got other girls that maybe didn't think about USC to end up there. Well, I was really naive, obviously, because of everything I've already said, but I didn't know that like people were waiting on me to commit. And I didn't even know how many scholarships they had to give. And so I was just taking my time. I didn't commit until my senior year. And so one girl had committed before because like she just knew that that's what she wanted to do. And then four other girls committed after me. And I think like two of them were two other top recruits in the country. And once we got there, it, it like came up in conversation at some point. They were like, we were just waiting to see if you would commit or not. <laughs> but you took so long. You were oblivious. You had no reason to oblivious. be worried because you were yes. number one. You're like, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. I'm doing what I'm going to do. So you didn't know USC's track record when you went there as a freshman. You committed based on a, like a feeling, a feeling at home, feeling welcomed. I love that. And I was kind of the same way with Stanford. I went and it was the one place where I visited where I was like, this feels like a family to me. And then there was obviously all the other things, academics, that sort of thing. But so, but you, you show up on campus freshman year and you guys go, you do pretty well freshman year, sophomore year, but then you end up junior year going back to back national championship. Explain that progression. What was that like? Did I guess this is multiple questions. Did you come from a high school that was really good or were you guys like, did well, whatever, but you were the best. So it wasn't a weird transition of like winning to not winning. Or did you go in and it was like, you helped build this program? College for me was totally different than high school. Like we were successful in high school, but college was just a whole nother game for me. And the same thing kind of happened. Like I didn't feel as 
fish out of water my freshman year as I did in high school, but I still felt like all the upperclassmen were way better than I was. But I ended up earning a starting spot and and played every match. I feel like this is becoming a, a pattern. You're like, I was bad, but I made varsity. I, I know, but I was, I remember we were in Texas. We were playing at this tournament and I go into the gym thinking like, I'm just going to be sitting on the bench. I'm not nervous or anything because I didn't think I was going to play at all. And then the next thing I know, I'm in the starting lineup and I can still remember the very first time I got a kill. And I was like, so excited that I got one kill. But yeah, no, it was a confidence booster and huge experience on my way of all of us creating the teams that won our national championships. I think, you know, getting better, all that experience was huge leading into my junior and senior years. But also I struggled balancing school and social life and all that stuff. And I think that negatively impacted my performance on the court my junior and sophomore year. I lost my mom to breast cancer my sophomore year before season. So that obviously had a huge impact on me. I I struggled a lot after that. And I didn't realize, I didn't put the two together. You're just in it, you're surviving and you're doing the best that you can. And then looking back, it was like, oh, I was, you know, grieving and having a hard time. And it showed in my school and everything else in volleyball. And I had kind of like a come to Jesus moment over winter break my sophomore year when I got my grades. And we had just lost in the final four. I sprained my ankle. Like I was exhausted. I was seeing stars, all this stuff. I got my grades. It was um, like point, it was point oh something away from being like disqualified from being able to play volleyball again. It was set by the volleyball team. I think it was like 2.0 something, which is like not great. Like that's pretty bad. And I have always held, you know, myself to some pretty high expectations in school and everything. And so I just sat there being like, what am I doing with my life? And like, would my mom want, want this for me? Would she be proud of me in the wake of her death for acting how I'm acting and doing what I'm doing? And it's just like, no, you know, like I got to turn this ship around and, and be more disciplined. And how am I going to get to the point where she would be proud of me? And so I, I changed a lot of things and it really paid off. And I do feel like it contributed a lot to our success or my success junior and senior year. That's an amazing story. And I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I feel like your success is a testament to her moving forward, which is a beautiful thing. So you have this life-changing moment and that obviously impacted you going forward. Senior year or junior year, you guys go undefeated to win national championship. So you ended your college career with an undefeated season, national championship. You're a four-time All-American, What was your mindset leaving college? Did you know you wanted to play professionally? Was that something you thought about during college or did it just kind of um, fall into place? Because I know you ended up in Puerto Rico, but how did that all happen? I didn't have plans for after college. I think in that time of my life, I was very go with the flow and like follow your heart and let's just see what happens. I had a couple teammates who had played in Puerto Rico for their like junior years in their league because it's like it's a professional league, but you can still play in it as an amateur and not take money. And you can't 
talk to scouts or teams while you're in college. So I didn't know what my options really were. My coach, when I was at USC, when I was done competing in NCAA, he was like, oh, okay, a couple of these teams in Puerto Rico are interested in you. Would you be interested in playing down there? And I thought, yeah, I'll go down, make some money off of all this time I've put into volleyball. And uh, I ended up skipping my spring semester, my senior year to go down and play, came back, finished like summer school, and then went back three more times. Yeah, it was it was a good decision. It wasn't for me, really, the indoor pro-life. I fell out of love with it pretty quick, but I'm glad I did it. So just so people know, the professional season in Puerto Rico was only a couple months long. You said it was in the spring. So you'd go there for only a couple months and then come home. Yeah, it was like January through April if you did well, which is so short. Normally, professional indoor volleyball is a nine-month season. So we go to Europe or Russia or China, and it's nine months. And people do that for 10 years. And it blows my mind. And I just could not do that. I was, you know, I missed my friends, my family way too much. And four months, I was, you know, bordering on depression, like just being by myself. And I just needed to come home. And I ended up hating it, like the, just the lifestyle. But you did it. You said you went back a couple of years. You did it four years? Yeah, I did it three years. I I had, for the league, I had a really good contract. And I just felt like I'm giving myself a really good jumping off point by making some money. And I kind of thought that I would always go back to school and get a graduate degree. So I wanted to save up for that. What did you want a graduate degree in? Well, I really wanted to do law school. wanted to go back for law school. I don't know. I've always been a very competitive person. And I would get into debates with my friends all the time. And I just like was like, I feel like I'd be a good lawyer. I could go to trial and argue my case and be really good at it. A professional arguer. That's what, that's what lawyers are. Yeah. But I wanted to have an impact. That's awesome. So you went to Puerto Rico these three years. The season was only a couple months. Outside of the season, you're back at home training on your own. Like, how were you handling? Because I know for us with our league, with the NWSL, you know, it's only sometimes six months. Now it's kind of led into being longer, seven or eight. But there's that time period where you have to, if you don't, if you don't have organized, an organized league or team to be playing on, you have to be training somehow. So how did you work around that? What did you do? Like, or were you just kind of chilling and then got ready right before you went back to Puerto Rico? Well, I, so I hated it every time I went down there. So after my first season, I was like, I'm never going back. And I just kind of like chilled and, oh, I had to go back to summer school. So I was like finishing up my school at SC, but can't remember really working out or doing much. And then I got offered another contract to go back the next year. And so I showed up about 15 pounds overweight and did not have the best season and hated it. And, but leaving the second year, I think they said they wanted to bring me back again. And I was like, okay, like I can do this one more time. And then I went home and trained on my own, like got a gym membership and stuff. And it was a weird time looking back. Like I feel so supported and organized now with USA Volleyball. And like I have resources and physical therapists. And when I was doing the Puerto Rico thing, it was like I was totally on my own. Like I was my own gym membership. I never got physical therapy. Um, if I 
needed something. I had to figure it out all on my own. I did pretty well, but it was just night and day to where I am now. We have similar experiences in that. And it is interesting how as you go through your professional career, if you don't have those things in the beginning, how much you value them later on and how much it becomes a priority because it's just like these are necessary tools for my success. Like you need the right support system for you to be successful. You obviously did fine, but it it does make it a lot easier when you have somebody and you have all those different things because people don't realize as that like, you, you have to go get a regular gym membership, like stuff like that to stay yeah. active, you have stay to ready. Write your own programs. You have yep. to, you know, okay, I guess today I'll do squats, you know, and tomorrow <laughs> I'll do something else. Um, but in a way, I think it's, I don't know how you feel about it, but it seems like it's a little bit of a rite of passage. Like if you can be self-motivated for those years and, you know, push through and figure it out on your own, then you're rewarded by more opportunities because you got through that period of time. Yeah, no, it, it does. It did feel like a rite of passage, but it's also like, man, if we could just make all of these environments better for everyone coming out of college, because I feel like so many female athletes come out of college and then they get into their professional environment and it's just subpar compared to what they were getting in their sport systems in the universities. But you are right. It's, and it's, you just kind of have to prevail. I, I mean, and- I do think at least in volleyball, there's there's a movement and an effort to bridge that gap now. And so like the domestic tour for beach volleyball is the AVP and they have the AVP first and AVP next now. And it kind of creates this pipeline where there's somewhere to go and there's resources you can use to kind of at least inform yourself. Whereas back then there was, there was nothing. For sure. So you hated Puerto Rico, even though you went back three times, third time's a charm. You were over it. Yeah. And you ended up transitioning. And I mean, people listening right now, obviously they know that you are a Olympic beach volleyball player, but you, you played indoors and then transitioned to beach. So how did that transition happen? And what was it like? Because I can't imagine playing. I play regular soccer. There's also beach soccer. I've and I couldn't imagine soccer. doing that. That's yeah. fun. I know, but it, it would be so much harder. Yeah. It is. The sand is a game changer. It's, I believe it's the hardest surface to play any kind of sport on. But when I was done in Puerto Rico, after my third season down there, I went down there in, in pretty decent shape, but they get two foreign players per team in Puerto Rico. And so I was one of my team's foreign players. The other one was a defensive player. So I was really the only offensive foreign player. So I got set every single ball when I was in Puerto Rico. So by the end, my shoulder was like hanging on by a thread. And then my knee was giving out on me. It hurt so bad. And so by the end, I could like barely play a full match. So that made it even worse. And it was the most miserable I have been playing volleyball. So after that third season, I was like, I am done. I am never going back. I'm done with volleyball. Like I hate volleyball. So I made a decision to kind of like quit completely. And I went home and got surgery on my knee. Once I was healed, I contacted my stepsister, who was a manager at the House of Blues at Disneyland. And I was like, hey, can you hook me up with a job um, as like a hostess or something? And so she gave me a job being a hostess at the House of Blues. I did that for about three months. Um, And then by the end of that, my knee was like pretty healed. 
I actually now I remember I could I considered going back to Puerto Rico. I was like, you know, I'm working at the House of Blues. Like, why would I not go back? And then I don't know if you know Holly McPeak. So Holly McPeak is like a legend in beach volleyball. And um, I had been in contact with her a little bit. She was trying to get me to come out onto the beach. And I'm like, kind of like, no, I don't know. Um, I was going to go back to Puerto Rico. And she said, stay here and train on the beach and just see how you do. And so she kind of convinced me to come out onto the beach and try it. My teammate from USC, the indoor team, she was already on the beach and she needed a partner. So she like convinced me to play with her. We gave it a go and we were pretty terrible. But again, I fell in love with the sport. It was so different. It was like walking into the gym as an eighth grader my for my first time. And I was just like, I love this sport. Like, I just want to play it. I, no joke, I lost $15,000 my first year traveling around trying to like make the circuit. You know, I made it into the main draw. So it's similar to tennis. Like you have to make the main draw to make any money. I made it into the main draw like three times maybe. And so, yeah, we were bad. I didn't know the terminology. It was probably like you trying to go out and play beach volleyball right now. You'd be like, what, what does that mean? That was like Hit me. <laughs> so yeah, Wait, I just, but I just like, you... gave it a shot and fell in love with it. When Holly asked you to come, had you ever played beach volleyball before, even just for fun at the beach with friends? Yes. So I went to high school at Newport Harbor High. It's a couple miles from the beach. So my high school coach would, in the spring, would make us go to the beach and do like cross training down there by playing beach volleyball and conditioning and stuff in the sand. And those were like my least favorite days. I hated going down there. It's just like you're so used to being explosive and and being good at something inside on the court. And then you go and try to do it on the sand. And it's like, you're terrible. It's like you can't play volleyball. And I just hated that feeling and couldn't wait to get back into the gym. At SC, we're pretty close to the beach also. So my my teammates would go down and play beach volleyball on the weekends. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to hang out at school. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Again, so many themes I feel like that I'm picking up on with you. You say that you were terrible when you first started beach volleyball, but you won rookie of the year award for FIVB, which is like your international federation for volleyball and the AVPs, which is Association of Volleyball Professionals rookie of the year award. So you clearly were good. Well, I wish I I could see it from someone else's eyes because I I don't know where these things come from. Like, I swear it's just like, we think she has potential. So we're going to like encourage her. I don't know. So we're just going to give her these awards and make her feel like she has a path in this. Yeah, maybe. So I got AVP rookie of the year after the year where I lost money playing. And then the next year I got the FIVB, like rookie of the year or whatever. So my second year was much better than my first year. I will admit that. Like I was successful my second year. And what do you think made you successful? Just the practice, just being used to it and getting out and experiencing it? Or like, I mean, it sounds like you just go into something. You're like, I'm not very good, but I'm going to try. I like it. I'm, I'm excited about this challenge. And then you tackle it and you just keep progressing. So is that kind of what it was? I like challenge. I like feeling like there's a chance of me succeeding while being challenged. You know, like if it's too big of a challenge and I just feel beat down all the time, like I'm not going to like it. But if there's a glimmer of hope in there and I can chase that glimmer, I really like it. I think my success, my second season was definitely a lot of luck. And 
a lot of me making hard, tough decisions. So I knew that I needed to learn because me and my partner, my first year, we're both rookies, both, you know, trying to figure it out. And I needed to play with somebody who could teach me, who knew the game a lot better than I did. And so I felt really strongly about that. I didn't know who I was going to play with. And my teammate that I was playing with, I was good friends with. We won two national championships together at SC. And so I was terrified of telling her that I wanted to break up with her. It was- this is what I was excited <laughs> to talk about because I think it's such a fascinating aspect of the sport of volleyball, or at least beach volleyball. It's a team sport, but it's a team sport consisting of two people. And how do you go about one, picking the partner? And then how do you go about breaking up with the partner? <laughs> Yeah, you don't have, like, the coach isn't the one that's like, you're going to play with her or we're going to separate you guys. It's like, you have to make those decisions. And we spent 24-7 together all summer, all season the last year. And so we're, like, really close. And I have to go break up with her. I tell her I need to talk to her. I drive up to her house. We were sitting in her bedroom. And I'm, like, looking her in her eyes. And I'm like, I just really think we need to go our separate ways. I think it's going to be really good for us if we play with different people. Thinking that I was doing it the best way I can, showing the most respect I can, and that she would see the benefit of us breaking up, but she definitely did not and was very upset. And we didn't talk a lot after that. So that was a tough one. Have you reconciled since? Not really. Like, if I see her, we're fine. You know, we'll chat and stuff, but it's, we never really went back to being friends or anything. So that was a really tough decision, but necessary decision. And then I got together with a more veteran player and we trained all off season and we were ready to go into season. We're going to play together. We're going to play internationally together. And two weeks before the season, she let me know that she had to get back surgery. I had no clue up until that point that her back was really even that bad. And so she was going to have to miss the first couple tournaments at least. And she was asking me to kind of like wait for her and she was going to come back as fast as she could. And, you know, she's much older than me. I respect her a ton. And like, I'm just this newbie and I'm kind of like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll wait for you. But in the back of my head, I'm like, like, I just felt like, this urgency, like I needed to play, I needed to get experience and like give it a go. And this is such a complicated story. But so my partner that I had broken up with before this was playing with Jennifer Kessie, who I went to London with. Kayao had gone back to Puerto Rico, played professionally there. She was my first partner. She got, she went to the playoffs. So she got stuck in Puerto Rico and she wasn't going to be able to make it back for the first couple of tournaments. So I didn't have a partner. Jennifer Kessie didn't have a partner. And so I called Jen and I was like, hey, Jen, what if we play the first couple of events together? Because Kay, I was in Puerto Rico. Nancy's hurt. And she's like, "Okay, we can do that. So we play together. We make the finals of the first tournament we play in together. And we're like, this isn't a fluke. Like, this is crazy that this first time we're playing together, we're in the finals. So after that we kind of made this decision, we're going to stay together. And so I had to call my second partner, just had back surgery and tell her that I was not going to play with her anymore and was going to stick with Jen. So the amount of stress, oh my goodness. I just I could not handle it. I don't think that sounds terrible. Yeah. I can picture each conversation I had and how stressed out I was and how nervous I was to like have these conversations 
But I am also like so proud that I like embraced the challenge, took it head on and like didn't shy away from these conversations and didn't take the easy route and just kind of did what I felt in my heart was necessary to, I don't know, like do as best that I could. Do you think that your ability to have these hard conversations and to evaluate objectively, I need to break up with this person, I need to move on, or, you know, I need to make these hard decisions. Do you think your ability to do that has allowed you to be as successful as you are? Like, do you think there's people out there who hang around with the same teammate because they don't want to have the hard conversation and that has, you know, impacted their career in a negative way? 100%. Yeah. I think it's really easy to get caught up with a friendship, you know, because you do become really close with your partners and you don't want to, you know, hurt your partner. Um, I think it's a double-edged sword because I do consider myself to be really loyal and that's why these conversations are so tough to have. Um, but I also view it as a business and I have to, I know I have to make those tough calls and I give it till the very last, till I, till it's like clear that I have to make a jump, you know? And so it's, you can change too often and you can not give it enough of a chance. And so I think I've been able to balance that really well, you know, give it as long as it needs to, to have, to give it a chance. And then if it, and then recognizing when it's time to move on and have those tough conversations. Oh, I just, I'm like so thankful I played a team with 20 plus players and don't have to call somebody up and say, it's been fun, but we're going to go separate ways, man. So you, and much respect for being able to have those hard conversations, because like I said, that everyone knows those aren't easy, but obviously they're necessary and have clearly impacted your career in a positive way. But you fell into teammates with Jennifer Kessie and you guys, like you said, made it to the final the first tournament. You guys ended up upsetting Carrie Walsh and Misty May trainer in the AVP tournament in 2008. And they were currently number one in the world at the time. And that was probably, that was what, right post Beijing in 2008? So they yeah, just won. I can't remember if it was before or after Beijing. It might have been right after. I think you might be right. Yeah. You guys upset them in that match. And you, you had just started playing together in 2008, you and We Cassie. actually, we started in 2007. So it was our okay. second season together. Okay. So what was that match like? Like, was that kind of a defining moment for you and your career and also for you two and your partnership being like, okay, we can be really successful and like, we want to go the distance together? Yeah, we had a good amount of success, but leading up to Beijing Olympics, we made a really strong run to actually qualify. And we did well internationally. It was more against the American teams that we were having trouble. We ended up the third American team. So two US teams can go to the Olympics if you're in the top 15 in the world. And so I think our top two were like number one in the world and number five in the world. And Jen and I were number six in the world. So we missed out by like one spot to go. And so it was like kind of finding our success among the American teams that was crucial. And so, yeah, once we were able to, you know, beat Misty and Carrie in that match, it was kind of like, okay, you know, it was validation. We're on the right path. We committed to making a lot of changes once we uh, didn't qualify for Beijing. And so we're making this big push to get better before London. And I think that was a huge confidence booster in that way. 
what were some of the changes that you guys realized you had to make? After we didn't qualify for Beijing, we needed to get on a better nutrition plan. We needed to change our lifting program. We needed to get a more skilled coach. So I think those were the biggest things we changed. We just got a lot more organized and I think serious because leading up to 2008, it was shocking to us that we were as successful as we were. So we were just kind of like figuring it out as we went. And then after, you know, all of that, we were like, okay, we, we really do have a shot here if we take it seriously. So yeah, we adjusted those things and it made a huge difference. Yeah. So you made those changes, which, you know, aren't easy changes. And the fact that you guys had to, as, as two of you decide that, as opposed to like a coach or, you know, a GM making these decisions for you. And it clearly pay, pays off because you end up in the gold medal match in the 2012 Olympics in London. You're up against Carrie and Misty. And I mean, this is your first Olympics. So are you, one, are you freaking out because it's your first Olympics? I was yes. freaking out <laughs> at mine. Yeah. And, and then you find yourself, you're in the gold medal match, but you're facing off against another American. I guess that happens in multiple sports in the Olympics, but what is that like? Yeah, that was so surreal to find ourselves in the, in the finals of the Olympics. We, I remember going in to London, being so stoked to be there. Like being at the Olympics is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I really wasn't sure I was ever going to get here, just enjoying it. And I clearly had the thought that I just didn't want to get last place. I just Again, the theme, you're like, I'm terrible, but I end up going to the Olympics and being this amazing, successful. I was just so nervous. I was like, you know, if we, if we don't get last place, like that, I'm good. (laughs) So as we start going, you know, I get a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more comfortable in front of the fans and in that atmosphere. And we start to get in a little bit of a groove. We end up getting a good draw and then like a terrible draw, but overcoming that terrible draw and, and, you know, still gives me chills thinking about, we ended up beating the number one team in the world in the semifinals to make the finals. That team had beat us the last nine times in a row. And so the 10th time in the Olympics, we were able to beat them and make it to the finals. And then, yeah, the finals, I'm still, I still have regrets about that. But what it do you, was, what it do was you an regret? amazing experience. And then, you know, like just to know that for your country, like the two Americans were there, like I had a lot of pride for that. Yeah, true. What do you regret about the match? <clears throat> I think Carrie and Misty, I... I watched Carrie and Misty before I ever played beach volleyball and like they were my idols. You know, I just loved watching them, rooted for them in Beijing. You know, you just like you see them having so much success and then going in and, you know, knowing what you're up against and having that kind of mentality. And, you know, you're telling yourself like, I, you know, we had beaten them several times. I knew that we could do that, that you just have that little part of your mentality where you're kind of like you're the second American team, you know? They're the first American team. And then, so there was a slight doubt in there. And then I think I just let the fatigue get to me a little bit. So we play every other day in the Olympics and between the semis and the finals, it's back to back. And our our match the night before was at like midnight or something. And so there wasn't a lot of recovery time. And 
it's not just physical. It's like so much emotional recovery that you need. And I just could not get up for it the way that I wanted to. And you're like, it's the finals of the Olympics and you're literally giving it everything you have. But I just, I just, and maybe it was everything I possibly could have given. But looking back, I was like, I wish I would have just believed a little bit harder and tried a little bit harder. Like, I don't know what the answer would have been, but um, I wish I could play that match over again. I know. It's the ones that you're like, I want that one back. And people don't realize, I I love that you spoke to the emotional drain that is the Olympics, because in the Olympics and the World Cup, you're on a high every time you win, but then you have to get yourself back down so that you can get high again. But it's never over until it's totally over. So it's just this constant. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, and people are like, what do you mean you can't get up for an Olympic final? Like you've waited your whole life for this. And it's just, I I have a specific memory of the last world cup before we played Spain. I was like, man, I'm just not in the right headspace, like emotionally for this game. And it's sometimes it's just impossible to get there. Like you can, but you know, you don't get maybe where you need to be. And, and that is such a big aspect of winning, especially in big games. Yeah. I think I do feel like I learned my lesson in London and applied it to Rio, but I think knowing your scale and like what emotionally on fire looks like for you. And, you know, sometimes you're doing everything you can to get there, but you literally can only get to like here out of here. Uh, But going into Rio, I was kind of like, I don't care what it takes, how I feel, what's going on, like, I'm going to get there. And I feel like I was able to do that. Yeah, you had experience under your belt. So, but before you get to Rio, it's losing, but you still get a silver medal in you know, your first Olympics, which you just didn't want to get last place. So I would say that's a success um, in your book and anyone's book. You come out of the Olympics and in 2013, which Olympics were 2012, 2013, you end up becoming partners with Carrie, Carrie Walsh. How did that come about? Another hard conversation? That conversation wasn't as hard because I knew that Jen wanted to start a family. So she was going to have to take some time off at some point. Um, She wanted to play a little bit after London. And Carrie actually had a baby right after London. So she was out kind of the first year. Um, Jen was out the second year. So I played the first year with Jen and then we kind of parted ways and um, I got together with Carrie, but Carrie had made a couple of comments about possibly wanting to play together. Um, So I knew that she was interested. And then before too much time passed after London, I was like, I just have to make sure she's serious. And so like I sent her an email being like, I know you've mentioned this, but I'm serious about playing with you if if you want to play. She's like, yeah, let's do it. it was like the most casual conversation with her. She was like, yeah, let's let's give it a go. <laughs> I but like, I feel okay. like that's the type of person she is. She's just like so easygoing and is like, it, yeah, just an easy, calm yeah, personality. She like knows what she wants. She's like, yeah, yeah. this makes sense. Let's just do it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so basically... Volleyball is like a lot of sliding into DMs kind of when you need <laughs> totally like a new is. teammate. That is so funny. <laughs> okay, so you end up with Carrie because it just, it works out. It, it universe. totally works out, yeah. Yeah, and how was the transition from playing with Jennifer to then playing with Carrie? And when do you guys feel like you started to hit your groove? And like, did you feel right off the bat, oh, this is, this is going to work, this, we're going to be successful? Or was it like a transition period? 
Well, so I feel like Jen and I kind of came up together and she had played a lot longer and she was definitely the veteran player, but like our success was all kind of tied together. And then, but getting with Carrie, like she's has three gold medals at this point. But like before I got out to play, I was watching her. I was learning from her. I was reading her blogs, like what's Carrie doing, you know? And so I was really nervous to to play with her. And our, our first event was in Santa Barbara and I just had so many nerves. We ended up winning the tournament and, you know, we could both tell that like we were good together. Like it was pretty obvious that we should play together and she felt the same way. But I'd say the whole time there was always a feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm playing with Carrie Walsh. Like I got to live up to that. And, and it was a really, it was a really big growing experience for me. And it really made me play my best all the time. Did you express that to her? Like, Hey, I think you're amazing. And I'm a little intimidated, like just letting you know, or did you just internalize that and deal with it yourself? I definitely just internalized that. I now that you're saying that, I'm like, maybe I should have had that conversation with her. <laughs> maybe. I but... like didn't want to, I don't know what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to like put that on her in any way, you know? Like I just thought it was my duty and my responsibility to kind of like rise to the occasion. That makes sense. It, I feel like... In team sports, people feel that way, but there's a ton of veterans and like there's multiple rookies and there's lots of players on the team, but it's just like you and this other person. And I still to this day find it fascinating. The relationship interaction of two people on a team trying to win and like the experiences and everything that comes with it and then figuring out how like you fit together. Yeah. But I, I get that. And I get that question like all the time. Like, how do you make sure you and your teammate have chemistry and how do you form a good partnership with somebody? And honestly, it's like, I don't really know. It's the same way you would form a friendship with someone. I don't know, but like it's, there's more to it because you have to make it work. There's a lot, there's a lot on the line besides just like, you know, being friends, yeah. being homies. Another thing to note that was really tough for my partnership with Carrie was um, she had shoulder surgery like two years out from the Olympics. And so that was that was a bonding experience and I think made us better, but it was still a crazy thing to go through. And yeah, I think she was fully rehabbed like February before the Olympics. Which is a tight timeline leading yeah. up to any sort of major event in the sports world. So what were your expectations going into 2016 together and individually? Well, together, we definitely wanted to get the gold medal. Individually, we both wanted to get the gold medal. I think that was kind of all there was to it at that point. And we felt, you know, super prepared and like we could do it. And I wanted to learn, like I said, from my London experience where I went in being like, I just don't want to get last place. And so I hope you didn't tell Carrie that. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't tell her that. But I went in to Rio being like, OK, my expectation here is gold medal or bust, you know. And so I blinders on, didn't do m much of the fun stuff. I didn't go to many houses. I didn't hang out with my family very much. I just I was like, we're here to win. And yeah, I I don't know which mentality was, was better, you know, like the London one or the Rio one. So 
you don't want to get lost. <laughs> you want to win. Like you don't want to get lost, but this time you want to win. And you end up, you guys end up losing in the semifinals. You end up in the bronze medal match. You said you had blinders on and winning was all you could think about. And again, like you talked about in London, you won the semis and then you had to get up for the finals for the gold medal match. How is it different to lose in the semis and then have to get up for the bronze medal match? Do you feel like that was almost easier to do because you had had a, a letdown and you're like, I want to win that. now? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it was so devastating to lose that semifinal. And, you know, neither one of us got more than two hours of sleep the night before. And it, like I said, it's back to back, the semis in the finals. So it's not like, oh, you have another day to re- recover. So we were exhausted and emotionally just depleted. And I wanted to not have to try, like for sure. I just trying to get emotionally up and physically up felt like the hardest thing in the world at that point. But then there was also this desperation, like I am not leaving here without a medal. You know, like there's such a difference between fourth and third place at the Olympics. And I can remember starting the match a little bit like the finals in London. Like I'm emotionally drained physically. I don't feel great. And I immediately kind of snapped myself out of that. I'm like, we are not having a repeat of, you know, the final match in London. Like, I don't care how exhausted I am afterwards. I don't care what happens. Like if I pass out, it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to figure out how to get up for this. And, um, I think it was one of the best matches I've ever had in my career after that. I remember watching that match and it was super exciting. It was awesome. And it's interesting you say you had a feeling of desperation because it like, you're just like, oh my God, I I have to get something out of this experience. Like I need a medal. Yeah. And it's something I've learned over the years and it's really important to be aware of is you get into like a final and of that magnitude. And it's like, especially in London where, you know, I just didn't want to get last place. And it's like, we are guaranteed a medal. You feel like you've kind of already won in a certain respect, you know? And so to have that desperation is, was hard. And, um, it just naturally occurred for the bronze medal match. And so I think taking that feeling and hopefully being able to apply it to a final would be the perfect situation. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like if you win the semis, you, that you're good, you know, like, you know, you're getting a medal. Obviously everybody wants gold, but it is an interesting thing. The pressure that goes into a semifinal match, just because you know that, okay, at least I get something out of this if I win, but okay. So you guys win bronze, amazing. And you end up parting ways in 2017, another breakup in the life of April Ross. How did that come about? What was that like? What, what went into that decision and what you're now with Alex Kleiman? So how did that, was that part of it? Were you like, oh, I'm ready to go here or walk me through that? Yeah. So 2017 or 2016, we were kind of like figuring things out. And I was kind of under the mentality of like, this was, you know, like I needed some time to just I needed a break and I needed to be away from volleyball and like have some fun and, and kind of refresh mentally. Um, and I think Carrie was a little bit more like gung ho, like let's keep going, blah, blah. blah. And so that, that disconnect was there a little bit. And then, um, going into season, 
she was going to partner with a different league and didn't want, I don't think wanted us to sign the AVP contract. So it became a little bit of like, come with me and play this league. You know, if you play AVP, I don't know if it's going to work out between us. And um, it was a, it was gut wrenching and like just so stressful. And I literally talked to, it was the toughest decision, decision I've ever had to make. And like, talked to everybody I could possibly talk to and decided to sign the AVP contract. And she was going her way and we were still going to try and make it work. And I was going to play with somebody else on the AVP and we would play together internationally. And then just like as things developed, it became, well, I think it became more clear to her that that wasn't going to work for her. And so in the end, she decided she didn't want to play together. And then I found a different partner, but it wasn't Alex right away. I played with a friend for a couple of tournaments and we actually won one of the AVPs, which was awesome. And then I played with Lauren Fendrick, who she's been around for a long time. We're good friends, played the season with her. And then after that, I was like, okay, I need to figure out like who my best option is to try and make the Tokyo Olympics. And that's when I got together with Alex. And what was the reason behind thinking she's like, Alex is my best bet for winning in Tokyo. I read um, that you were a fan of the fact that Alex had been a successful indoor player. Um, Was that a priority in a partner for you? The priorities for me were that um, someone was going to like work as hard as I do. Um, I wanted to know that like they were going to give it everything they have I wanted somebody super competitive and I knew that because of her success indoors, she had to be competitive. I felt like she knew how to win. She had been in a lot of big matches, pressure situations, which was important. So I, the reason I made the decision to go with Alex was based on intangibles for sure. It was the volleyball piece that I didn't gamble on, but it was like, I feel like she has the potential and like she is going to get there. And so Let's give it a go. Is there an aspect of like this player complements my style, so I want to play with them? Or is it kind of like, no, you just like you're a competitor, you're going to win at all costs, that sort of thing? Like which I guess it's it's probably both when you're finding a partner or does is the the complementing styles? Is that super important? I've never really thought about playing with somebody who necessarily complimented me. I just don't even know how I would evaluate that. Um, I did know that I wanted a full time blocker because With Jen, we split blocks, so we both took turns blocking. Carrie and I actually started split blocking, and that was the whole goal for to do it the whole time. But when she hurt her shoulder, she was a full-time blocker, and I became a full-time defender. And I actually liked that more. And so I knew I wanted a full-time blocker. I wanted to stay on the left side, and um, Alex was new, so she didn't really have a side. I'm like, well, I could just, you know, convince her to play on the right, and I could stay on the left. A couple of the puzzle pieces definitely fit together, and those are essential. You know, you want someone who plays the opposite side of you, and, you know, if you're a defender, you want a blocker. If you're a blocker, you need a defender. So that all that all worked out. Um, but we sat down and had coffee, and we are just talking, and I was like, yeah, it seems like we really mesh. And um, now after three years, it, I can tell, you know, that was a good indicator. Well, you guys are the favorite to win gold going into 2020 Tokyo, um, or I guess 2021 now. What does that feel like being favored? Because I feel like your first 
Olympics was, I don't want to get last. And then your second Olympics is I'm gold or bust. And now you have two under your belt. You have a new partner. This will be her first time playing beach volleyball in the Olympics. First Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. So where's your head at? Yeah. So I know and believe that Alex and I have a real shot at winning gold. And that is 100% the goal going into Tokyo. I know at the same time, like we need to get a lot better before then we need to become more consistent. And so those are, you know, huge focuses for us. Us, We're not um, complacent in any way, but I think going into the games, I definitely want to merge my two experiences. Like I don't want to uh, have no expectations and I don't only want to be like, this is a complete failure if I don't, you know, get the gold medal. I will have that goal and that expectation, but I, as much as I want to be focused, taking time to hang out with my family and taking time to go do certain things is very refreshing for my mentality. And I want to enjoy it. I want to have a great experience regardless of the results. So just trying to get those two to come together. Yeah. We call it enjoying the journey because you obviously you have an expectation, you have a goal in mind, but if you don't enjoy all the parts along the way, it makes, you know, if you don't win, then it makes it all not worthwhile. So I think that's a good, good way to approach it. It seems like throughout your career, you have had this approach of like, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm around everyone who's better than me is being the underdog, something that you enjoy and kind of strive, not strive to be, but like thrive off of almost. Yeah. I think I do enjoy being the underdog. I think it's, it's motivating. It's more fun to try and knock somebody off than to, you know, try to maintain your spot at the top and keep everybody else down. So I love the challenge of of being the underdog. Yeah. And I feel like I've kind of thrived by doing that my whole career. I don't mind, you know, being at the top, (laughs) but if I am the underdog, it's, it's a little bit more fun. Okay. Before we wrap up, I have a couple big picture questions for you. Uh, The first one is hard work versus luck. How much of success is predicated on luck? I definitely think you have to get lucky a few times. I think that's true for anything in life. There's a decent amount of luck, but you create the opportunities by how hard you work. You know, you can put yourself in those positions by working really, really hard to possibly have good things happen. You you don't get half as lucky if you don't work super, super hard. So I, if I had to put it in like percentage, a percentage, I'd, you know, I'd say like maybe as much as 10% luck. I think, you know, where I grew up, the high school I went to, the coaches I had, those were all a lot of that was luck and that really helped me get to where I am. But I think saying yes to opportunities and being brave helps you take advantage of that luck and make the most of it. Very well said. We've already kind of touched on this, but you've accomplished so much already in your career. Where do you want to go next and how do you keep pushing for that? I am, I'm grappling with where do I want to go next right now? You know, I'm super focused on the current journey and, and doing well at Tokyo. I might want to keep playing and go for Paris. I mean, it's only another three years, so why not? I, I don't want to 
stop necessarily unless like I have to and I knock on wood feel really healthy and still love playing still love traveling I do know going forward I want to get involved in more causes give back a little bit more than I have previously and help the next generation and do good for the world but I don't know exactly what I want to do next that's okay blank slate <laughs> yeah. you can you you Go with you the get flow, to write find it. another challenge. <laughs> totally. It sounds like that's gotten you pretty far already. So um, it's not a bad, bad way to approach things. But um, all right, that's it. This was awesome and super enlightening. And you crack me up because you are like, I was terrible. And you've been to two Olympics and you probably are going to win gold <laughs> next Olympics. And you'll probably go and be like, ah, just not good enough yet. But um, <laughs> this is so hard. fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So thank you for the time and just for telling us your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was super fun talking to you. And I think I learned a little bit about myself because of the questions you asked. So I appreciate awesome. that. I love hearing that. Well, good luck. Thanks. Same to you. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also, don't forget to sign up for the Just Women's Sports newsletter. It's everything you need to see and know in women's sports delivered straight to your inbox. And while you're at it, also throw us a follow on social. It's at Just Women's Sports. Our show is co-produced by Just Women's Sports and Boom Integrated, a division of John Marshall Media. Big thanks to our executive producers, Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lye. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Post-production is by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Sarah Storm, and Haley Kottmeyer. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. See you next week.